What is... What are you... Is that a Sharpie? Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm smelling it. Don't smell a Sharpie. That's how I podcast. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John. Welcome back, back to the season two. Yeah. Season two. Episode three of season two. When will the novelty of season two wear off and the dust begin to settle? Probably halfway when we introduce all of the crazy twists. Oh yeah, because those twists... I, I know that no one else here has been in the writing room unless they listen to uh, Zero Credits Talking About, which is, of course, the podcast in which we talk about the uh, the, pr- the production of Zero Credits. Yeah, much like in the style of, like, you know, the Talking Dead or Talking Bad, uh, Zero Credits Talk About is what, what when we talk about Zero Credits. And I, I think people can appreciate our wordplay there. Yeah, you know, I mean, with the show where we talk about things, and so we're kind of, you know, reusing that in this new uh, show where we talk about zero credits. And, of course, the things that we talk about there are zero credits. Yeah, of course. And the things that we talk about here, of course, are... Uh, everything else. Everything else such as the world of Lucha Libre. Are you referring to the new, not new, but the now on Netflix show Lucha Underground? I absolutely am. I feel like you. we talked about Lucha Underground on our podcast and now it's on Netflix. Can we take credit for that? Yeah, I think we can. They got that zero credits bump. Yeah, I mean, like, people, we all we all saw the Google searches go soaring up. After that episode, you know, the one that we talked about Lucha Libre Underground on. And, uh, of course, since we're bringing Lucha Underground back up, it means that we have to go back to our time-honored segment. Oh, which which time-honored segment is this one? Uh, the time-honored segment, uh, John painstakingly explains episodes of Lucha Underground to Henry. Oh, that one. That's a good one. It's been a really long time since we... Since we had John painstakingly describe episodes of Lucha Underground to Henry. Now, see, you might think, uh, you might think that maybe since it's such a time-honored tradition, we'd be keeping pace with the newest season. But since Lucha Underground has just started on Netflix, there's a whole bunch of people out there who don't know what's going on. And they need me to explain it to you, Henry, so that they can fully grasp it. You know, I like to think that this is this podcast is kind of some of my community service, and I'm glad we are helping individuals with understanding Lucha Underground so I can turn this into the court system and get my merit badge. So the first episode is the one that I'm going to talk about, because we're starting all the way over from the beginning. You mean the pilot episode? The pilot episode. Season 1, episode 1. Aired September 6th, 2014, Welcome to the Temple. Wait, it's called Welcome to the Temple? Welcome to the Temple. The Temple of what? Because the the place where Lucha Underground takes place is called the Temple, because it's 
supposed to be emblematic of uh, of ancient civilizations, temples, and and rites of violent passage. Oh, okay. So like a like an Aztec or Mayan temple, but in this case, instead of like sacrificing people, people are just wrestling with lucha. No, they are uh, they are sacrificing each other. Oh, they're sac. Is that that's true? With lucha. Oh, with lucha. Because at this point, you don't understand the the darker connotations of the temple. At this point, it just seems like they're paying lip service to uh, to these ancient rites. But instead, they're actually reenacting them? Uh, no, they're... Okay, look, it's very complicated. Let's just get into what we know right now. I know nothing right now. Okay, so the two commentators who you hear right from the start are Vampiro, noted Wrestleman, and someone else whose name I forget. Alright, sounds like we're very knowledgeable. And Lucha Underground has started as this response to uh, professional wrestling culture where they want to bring it back to be raw and, and gritty and go back to its roots. So this, uh, this presenter uh, named Dario Cueto, I believe has bought out this temple space and forces the biggest names in Lucha Libre to do battle. Wait, he forces them? Forces them how? He forces them with a briefcase full of $100,000. That is a lot of money. It is, and whoever is the champion of Lucha Underground gets the money. Alright, so everyone's motivated financially. Everyone is motivated financially. There's no one, like, trying to relive the legacy of his father or anything like that? Well, I say everyone. Most people are motivated financially because $100,000 is nice. But some of them, and I won't get into it just yet, but they have a, a reputation to uphold, traditions to pay service to. Alright, I mean, that sounds like, you know, the traditional sort of Mexican heritage and culture that we're used to uh, seeing in television and film. Now, the first match is a real humdinger. They come out of the gate swinging with this match, Henry. Wait, there's a gate involved in Lucha? There's at least four. Now, this first match, I don't know how much you know about Lucha Libre, but I'm assuming you know at least the basics. So, I'm going to give you, I don't know, three chances to tell me the two luchadors they had fight in this first match. Now, keep in mind, they're both very famous in the Lucha Libre community. Well, of course. I mean, you've got, on on the red corner, there's the dragon, and then on the right corner, there's the flea. Oh, that's two chances down. Wait, what? <laughs> you only have one more chance to give me both of them correctly. Wait, how is that two chances if that was... How, how can I... How can I squeeze two guesses into one more chance? You're right, it was an and, not an or, so go ahead with two more. Alright, so, uh, the, uh, I mean, you got, you got your, your, um, your, uh, your Toro. The bull. You have to give me another one. And, uh, you've got El Tigre, the tiger. Both are incorrect. One more chance. I mean, man... You're telling me they they got radioactive kangaroo fist and lampshade foot to you fight? Know, you know, they actually did not manage to get lampshade foot, but that's a good guess. Alright. The first ticket, right out the gate, the first match you see on Lucha Underground, is Blue Demon Jr. and Chavo Guerrero Jr. Whoa, two juniors? Two juniors. Two sons of extremely prominent, well-known Lucha Libre fighters and 
in themselves fantastic wrestlers with a storied past. Sounds like there's uh, like a history here, some legacies that need to be upheld, and maybe maybe these these two luchadors are rivals. Uh, I think at, at some point their fathers were rivals, but I'm not sure if they were rivals. But it's it's crazy that the first match that you see on Lucha Underground, and this is me being genuine, is two extremely storied people going at it. It would be like if, like, you know, I don't know, George Washington would, would have wrestled uh, King George. Yeah, it's like if George Washington's son was fighting King George Washington's son. King... King George Washington? Yeah. Um, alright. What, what, what is, what is, what is this? Oh, what is what? What is, what is Lucha Underground? What, so they fight? They, they Lucha and then what? Uh, they Lucha and then there's a loser and a winner and the winner, uh, advances to become the champion. Wait. Uh, one match? Well, no, you, you fight a match and then you win and then you move on. Alright, so, uh, but, there's got to be more to it than that, right? What? There's got to be some type of weird, mystical, magical element that makes it underground. Oh, the underground element is the criminal element. Oh, there's guns involved? We'll get to that. So the second the second uh, match of the night is, of course, Son of Havoc versus Sexy Star. Oh no, not not Sexy Star. That's right, the second match of Lucha Underground throws everything out the window. It's an intergender match. Wow, that's actually kind of progressive of Lucha to do. Now, Son of Havoc, he's a real piece of shit. He's a big bearded weirdo with a mask, and Sexy Star is a woman who will stand up for women everywhere, because all women are sexy and all women are can kick ass. Wait, you said with a mask. Shouldn't all of these people be wearing masks? Lucha does not always uh, mean that you would be wearing a mask. I thought Lucha meant you would always be wearing a mask. That's what uh, Lucha Libre, the cartoon that I watched, told me. Not always. You're telling me that luchadors don't always have a mask? A lot of them do, and it's it's more of a traditional thing. I thought it was the source of their power. And uh, that's also part of the traditional thing. Like Some people believe luchadors who wrestle without a mask can never be... As powerful as those who wrestle with one. Yeah, I mean, because the mask is the source of your strength and identity. And if you lose your mask, you lose your life. Pretty much, because you're storing all of your energy in your mask. Now, uh, Son of Havoc versus Sexy Star, I told you who was fighting, but Henry, I'm gonna give you three chances to guess who won. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get... Wait, three chances? There's only two possibilities, unless... This is a trick question. I don't know, is it? Alright, so Sexy Star obviously is the winner. Sexy Star gets destroyed. Oh, so... That match lasts for a minute. So Havoc is the winner? Son of Havoc? Yeah, the the big bearded awful dude who didn't even get like an intro talking about how powerful women are. Wow, so... What does that say? Uh, This first episode really makes a... It makes a point of saying, hey, stuff doesn't matter. This is gritty. Not the not every time will the people with, like, good messages or promo videos win. Well, I guess, you know, doubt keeps things interesting. So it's not always, you know, good triumphing over evil. Sometimes evil wins. But, uh, weird. That's a weird decision to make creatively. It's a, it's a creatively weird decision, and that match was over very quickly. How quickly? 
One minute and 32 seconds. That's really quick for a Lucha match, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think they average somewhere between 5 to 20. Somewhere? Uh, how long are these episodes? 45 minutes. 45 minutes, so we're, we're dealing with like a full-length hour show. Oh, yeah. Alright, and uh, the commentators, they commentate the matches throughout? Oh, yeah, they're terrible. What do you mean they're terrible? They're really bad commentators. I do not like them. Why are they bad? Why aren't they better at their job? I mean, they're pretty knowledgeable, but for the most part, it's uh, it's typical wrestling commentary where it's just, there's no dead air, it's constantly filling the air with noise, because one of the things about professional wrestling is you can't let a crowd hear too much, or they'll hear the tiny incidental noises of wrestling, which give away that it's theater. Oh, okay. Now, uh, answer me this question, John. Yes. Alright, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it, is it in English? Yes, it is. What? Yeah. It's in English. Mm-hmm. But it's, okay, that's interesting. Are, it's, are the it's actors... It's set in Los Angeles. It's set in Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. What? What? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I know nothing about this, and we jumped right in, and I didn't know whether to be thinking in Spanish or English. Apparently there's a whole different, like, Spanish announce table, and... They film portions of the dramatic parts of the show in Spanish as well. Oh, that's that's actually really cool. Now, the third match is the most interesting. Wait, you, we've already had two really interesting matches, and now you're going to spring a third one on me? The third one is the most interesting. Now, get a hold, get a handle, get a hold of a handle on this hot pepper. So there's a there's an interstitial scene where Dario Cueto is talking to uh, Castro, I believe. No, no, Conan, Conan. The Barbarian? No, he's a notoriously crooked uh, Mexican wrestling promoter. Oh, okay. And Conan has this uh, brand new talent that he wants to bring on the scene called uh, Prince Puma. Oh, not the Prince Puma. And Prince Puma's this kid who's, he's got a lot to lose, and he's got nothing to lose, and he wears a Puma mask, and he's very traditional Lucha Libre, and he's, he's a fantastic athlete, and he's been raised up in the streets, and this is all he knows. How, how does he simultaneously have everything to lose and nothing to lose? He has nothing to lose because he doesn't have, like, a, a family or a home, and he was raised in the streets and raised in a mask, but he has everything to lose because if he loses his mask, he loses his reason to exist. Wait, he was raised in the mask? Sure. H who who raised him in a mask? Conan. Wait, so Conan's his, like, surrogate father? Uh, they imply that he's kind of like a terrible father figure to him. Oh, okay. Uh, does he get to fight? Yeah, he fights Johnny Mundo. Not Johnny Mundo. That's right, Johnny Mundo, worldwide parkour star and model. You know, Mundo means world, right? Oh, his signature move is the end of the world. Well, that that makes sense because his name is Johnny World. And uh, he is a renowned, in the universe of Lucha Underground, renowned parkour athlete and model and superstar. He's basically Johnny Cage. From Mortal Kombat? Yeah. I, I I don't know a lot about Mortal Kombat. Uh, he's basically Johnny Cage. Alright, so like a movie star who's fighting for some reason. Yeah, he's, he's super, like, movie star-y. Like, he has, like, he's like, oh, I'm a rock star. Look at my sunglasses. Ugh. Uh, wait, so is, is Lucha, is, is it like Mortal Kombat in that, like, they're, they're lulled, lulled. They're, they're gathered together in, in hopes of fame and fortune, but there's actually, like, a mystical power at play? 
So we're going to keep talking about that. Anyway, so Johnny Mundo defeats Prince Puma. Well, yes, because you got to start the underdog out underneath the uh, the dog. That's true. And, you know, Johnny Mundo's kind of a dog. He's talking about, what do they call a hot dog? Or, you know, he's hot dogging around. But for real, this this last match is incredible because I don't know how much American professional wrestling you've seen, but it's not this. Is it a lot of flips and a lot of a lot of flips and, and in the air and a lot of flips? I have never seen that many backflips in my life. Oh well, that that's that's exciting. I'm guessing the Puma is doing. No, Puma back- does backflips. Johnny Mundo does backflips. They're both extremely acrobatic people. That's cool. That's really cool. And the thing that Puma does over and over in this match is he flips 540 degrees through the air to do like a shooting star drop, which is unbelievably impressive by American wrestling standards, but it's like relatively normal in this crazy universe. Well, that sounds awesome. I also want to make it abundantly clear that the universe of Lucha Underground is clearly deliberately fiction. Wait, how is it deliberately fiction? It's supposed to, like, take place in, like, a semi-apocalyptic version of Los Angeles. So you mean Los Angeles today? Yeah, exactly. But no, like, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff in here, especially later on, that is clearly not based in reality. Well, you know, skip all this match stuff, let's get to the fun part. We can only talk about what happened in the first episode, but we can talk about the fun part there. Alright, what happened, what's, what's the fun part of the first episode? Johnny Mundo defeats Prince Puma. It's amazing. The match is like 15 minutes long. But, okay. And then, as as Prince Puma's recovering, Johnny Mundo goes up to him and shakes his hand and gives him a bro hug and tells him it'll be alright. Johnny Mundo's a good guy. Oh, he had a change of heart during the match or something? Yeah, because I guess the implication is that Johnny Mundo is like a super narcissistic guy, but he just, he respects the artistry of Puma. Ooh, that's cool. He he won, uh, Puma won... A respect victory. And then uh, Dario Cueto comes out with a briefcase full of money. Wait, who who gets the money? Uh, clearly Johnny Mundo, because he's the champion, because he defeated Prince Puma. What? But that Prince Puma was just a newcomer. I, I, that doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't Johnny Mundo have to fight any of the people who won the previous matches? Look, you fight and you win and you advance. It's simple. Okay, yeah, that, that, it's, that doesn't seem as simple as you, you're making it out to be. So Dario Cueto has the, the briefcase full of money, and he starts to hand it to Johnny Mundo. Okay. And he reaches for it, and Dario Cueto pretty womans him. Oh, so he snaps the case shut. He snaps the case shut, and Johnny Mundo's like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you trying? And then he, like, grabs for the case. Yeah. And then three gangbangers run up and start beating Prince Puma and Johnny Mundo up. What, that doesn't seem like a good idea because they're luchadors that can fight back. Yeah, but these are also, they're luchador gangbangers. They're luchador banditos? Yeah, they are Cortez Castro, Mr. Cisco, and Big Rick. Big Rick? That that doesn't, the other one sounded cool, but Big Rick sounds like a truck driver. Oh, do you know how you spell Big Rick? How do you spell Big Rick? B-I-G-R-Y-C-K. Why? Because Big Rick... Okay, well, you know Big Rick's bad because he wrestles while smoking cigars. Well, yeah, that's everyone knows that's the telltale sign of a bad wrestler. But it's it's crazy because at the end of this show, which ostensibly is supposed to like being supposed to be paying tribute to these 
uh, classic Lucha Libre figures. Just these gangbanger wrestlers in everyday clothes run up and just beat people. That's, that sounds dirty. And then Dario Cueto gives the briefcase to Big Rick and he says, welcome to Lucha Underground. And the episode just ends. That's weird. That's really weird. It's so good. That's not at all what I thought was going to be, but that's okay. I guess the first episode doesn't need to have a weird mystical element to it. Believe me, there are there are those things. Well, of course, because it's lucha, it's sacred, and then tied to the very core of our planet. So, uh, do you feel like you had the full experience? I feel like I've had an experience of someone describing something to me. Are you looking forward to the next episode? Are you gonna describe the next episode to us? What, right now? No. No, not right now, but like in a future installment or something? Oh, absolutely. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I will say, here's a, here's a quick teaser for the next week's episode. Yeah? Prince Puma and Johnny Mundo do 540 moonsaults simultaneously. This is starting to sound a lot like Power Rangers. Oh, it very much is. Okay, that's great. Oh, it's so good. I might have to watch this. You really need to. It's dumb. And it's on Netflix now, so, you know, anyone can can get on Netflix and watch it. You need to increase the demand, keep that zero credits bump going, and make this the most popular show on Netflix. Well, I don't know about most popular. I mean, you know, House of Cards is still a thing, they claim. Uh, what about Thingerstrangs? Oh, yeah, Thingerstrangs probably takes the, uh, the kank. The kank? <laughs> Finger Strangs takes the kank. You know that because it's Netflix, so there's a there's an N in there. Oh yeah, because every Netflix original has an, a secret N that only true fans pronounce, like Darren Devil. Yeah, and uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. And Narcos. Wait a second. And Iron Fist. And Beast of the Southern Wild. Oh, you mean Beasts of Known Nation? Oh, that's right. I was thinking of a different movie. Whoops. What's another Netflix original? Um, um, hold on. I, I know all of them. Oh, yeah. Arrested in Development. Oh, yeah. That classic Netflix original. Oh, House of Cardins and. Yeah, House of Cardinans. House of Cardinums. And, uh, you know, strangely, strangely enough, this is gonna lead into a, a topic that I wanna talk about. That's crazy. Yeah, um, Netflix soon to be original, Death Note. Death Note, man. Yeah, so this past week, uh, you know, news broke that Netflix is gonna be adapting the hit Japanese anime Death Note. Into a series of live action things, or just one live action thing? I'm, that's not clear to me because everything everyone keeps saying something different. Uh, but the casting decisions were, you know, announced, and a lot of people were kind of angry. Is it like a hundred percent white? Uh, no, it's not a hundred percent white. It is, however, a hundred percent not Japanese or any type of Asian. Oh, that's troublesome. Uh, but here's the thing, John. Here's the thing that some people are raising to, to try to defend this casting choice. You see, while the original anime took place in Japan, this adaptation is taking place in Seattle. Oh, well, that makes sense. However, 
Here, here's the thing that that I would then tell those people. That's all well and good. You can change the setting of the story, but they're keeping the same characters, scenarios, everything else is the same as the as the uh, the anime. So why? That just sounds like an excuse to make them not Asian. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's not as though there's not a large Asian population on the West Coast, because there is. I mean, even if they if they swapped it around, wouldn't it be interesting to make the character, the main character, whatever his name is, I've never seen Death Note, Asian American? That would be interesting. Uh, for your information, his name is Light Yagami. Oh. Uh, Light is kind of a nickname, I think, but uh, it's what he's called throughout the series. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. Are they going to call him, like, Light Smith? <laughs> Light Smith. And the, the, uh, the, the foil to Light is a, a detective by the name of L. He, he disguises his real name because of how the Death Note works. Uh, it, it, the Death Note works if you write somebody's name and you detail, uh, how they die, it will happen. So he disguises his name as just L. He's being portrayed by a black person, which, I don't know. I mean, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, but it's it's like, here's my question to you, John. I know you haven't seen it, but you don't need to have seen it to answer this question. If you're going to change the setting, why not go a step farther and change everything and kind of do like a Rogue One, a Star Wars story? Had this be like something, a Death Note story? I mean, I think that if you're going to take something that is... uh and really almost all uh, anime and manga kind of falls into this where it's so steeped on a certain culture, and then you just kind of change one variable so it becomes easier for you to film and cast for, then trying to tie that story to your rather convenient choices is going to make a really weird story, and you probably would have just been better off using the mythology of the world that you're making this take place in, and put it somewhere else and make your own story. Exactly. I mean, even within the original anime or manga, uh, they've set up, like, there's this whole kind of mythology about it. It could happen somewhere else with different people. You don't necessarily need Light Yagame or L. You could have Joe Charles and Freddie Jones. They could be, you know, a new story that involves not the same characters in a different location, I think would be just as interesting to watch to see how it would fold out under different circumstances. I mean, do you think they're really saving themselves that many calories in the writer's room by having a story that's essentially already written for them anyway? Because so much adaptation has to be done. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, adaptation <laughs> adaptation within the same medium, I, I, you know, it's a visual video thing. You're taking a cartoon and making it live action. That that already seems kind of like filling... It, it's easy content, you know? And I mean, I think that really if they were if they were creating their own story, I think that they could have spent about the same amount of time creating a new story as they did adapting a, a very cultural and specific story to fit their needs. Yeah. And it's not like... It's not as though there's not... Asian or even Asian American actors out there looking for work, there's a ton because that that 
that niche is very underrepresented in, in, in uh, film and, and TV as it is. So it's it's like, I, I don't know. There, there has to be a creative decision being made at a very high level. And, and the fact that this, this series or movie is going to be on Netflix raises questions further. And uh, I, I suppose something that uh, jumps out to me is we really have three things in the zeitgeist right now that people could be pretty upset that Asian Americans aren't getting more credit in. Things like uh, Iron Fist, for example. Yeah, Iron Fist... Uh... Are are you gonna say uh, that that wall movie with Matt Damon? Oh, I was gonna say Ghost in the Shell. Oh, Ghost in the Shell. Well, the creator the creator kind of came out and defended that one with with a, an explanation that I think kind of covers it, and that the body is technically uh, you know cybernetic. It doesn't it doesn't it shouldn't actually have any racial tie to it. You know. Oh yeah, we shouldn't. Necess- oh man. Damn creator and your your good reasoning. Yeah, be, because you know it, the body could be anything. It could literally look like anything. So that that one, I don't know. But yeah, also the weird wall movie. Yeah, the weird Matt Damon wall movie. What's your third one? Uh, it was just Death Note. Okay, Death Note. Yeah, I, it's weird that all of these are hitting around the same time too. So it's like it, we're gonna reach a fever pitch where it's like you know we're, we're gonna see I don't know Asian James Bond next. I uh, hate to be an apologist, but I actually don't. It, mm, I don't agree with the criticism of Iron Fist for not featuring uh, an Asian American main character for the most part, because the the character of Iron Fist is a shitty racist story. Yeah, I mean, much in the way that the original Iron Man was a shitty racist story. Because essentially what the the plot of the original Iron Fist is a bunch of mysterious Asian people teach a white dude to be Asian. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, doesn't he gets his powers from punching a dragon or something? I don't know. Yeah, something like that. I, look, it's it's the same story as as Green Arrow. So why do we need it? Yeah, just put more Green Arrow out there. No, no, no. I mean, we we don't even need a lot of that because that's just the same story as Batman. So 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 why do we need this? this God is knows ri- we need less Batman. The same origin story, rich white person loses parents and then gets lost and becomes trained in the East. Okay, so in Green Arrow's case, it was an island, but still, it's like, we've seen it. We've seen it so many times before, you just change the end power a little bit. Why do we need it? Why? Why does it keep happening? And uh, I I do hope that this in... In some way, ends up with more Asian Americans being featured in television and cinema. You know, I would, I'm all for it. Like, the only thing I can think of that recently came out, besides like Dr. Ken or, or like, uh, what is it, Off the Boat, is, uh, Enter, Enter the Badlands, Into the Badlands, whatever that one, that one was called. I keep wanting to, uh, to look at that show because it looks good. It is now on Netflix. What? I think. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it on Netflix the other day. Looks like I'm going to be watching two TV shows. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just... Here's the problem that I have with Death Note and its decision that it that it made recently is it's going to be on Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. And as far as I understand it, listening to people like the Duffer Brothers talk and, and other creators who have been featured on Netflix, Netflix lets creatives be creative. They don't really interrupt with, like, marketing decisions or ex- executive decisions that that force a person to make a story a certain way. So my problem with that is then it's very high up in the creative process. 
Someone made the decision that we are not casting Asians, and I demand to know why. Yeah, you have to know. I mean, it's so simple to kind of figure out with a typical like television pipeline where the executives got involved and what got pared out and like what got pared down. But with something like Netflix, you're not sure where these decisions are coming from. And with a decision like this, if ultimately it's coming from the people who are the creative hands behind it, how much should you watch it? Yeah, I, I mean, they, they, there has to be a reason. And the reason can't be, oh, we don't like Asians, you know, because that's, that's straight up racist. So it's like either they come forward with a reason, kind of like the creator of uh, Ghost in the Shell did. He came forward with a reason why Scarlett Johansson was an okay choice. And I'm, I've accepted that and I, I think better of that piece now. I need the, the, these people behind this Death Note adaptation to come forward with their reason. Or if they don't have one, I can just automatically assume they don't have one and they're just racist and I won't watch their stuff. I think that's a that's a fair reaction. I mean, I don't know about automatically labeling, labeling them racist. That might be a little a step too far, but I'm I'm being kind of absurd to demonstrate why it's needed. Yeah, I mean, we can call them just racially lazy. <laughs> oh god. You're not racist. You're just racially lazy. Yeah. Uh so yeah, that's just another thing that I don't know that was in the news. Everyone was on my Facebook feed was talking about it and I wanted to weigh in, but I didn't want to, like, I don't know. I'd rather use this this platform of zero credits to get my view across, because at least this way no one can respond to me directly. Yeah, see, that's what you want. You want a certain amount of anonymity, H. You're right, Jay. See, now no one can kill us with their book. <laughs> You're right. Uh, you should give the original uh, Death Note anime at least a, a try. People keep telling me it's legitimately actually good. Yeah, I would say that it's pretty decent, and uh, guess what, John? Uh, what's up? The entire series is available on Netflix. What the fuck? Yeah, so that's three things you could watch. I, I've never watched three television shows before, Henry. Well, there's a first time for everything. Hmm. And there's a time to go on break. You mean there's a time to go to the break? There's a time to go to the break. So you're going to, like, set up the break, right? Oh, yes. It's time once again for our musical interlude, known as The Break. And uh, without any further ado, here it is. Yeah, but in my mind, like, the, the perfect version of this is one where, like, whatever you're saying ends with you going, The Break. Without any further ado, welcome to The Break. Thank you. 
And that was On Misty Steps by Joshua Forrest. You can find more of his stuff at www.soundcloud.com slash Joshua C. Forrest. That's Forrest with two R's. He's a composer of neoclassical and electronic music, often finding interesting ways to blend the two. That was, I like him. I like it. I felt like I was, like, on the precipice of a mountain looking over at the world. I felt, uh, like, I felt like a ghost. Yeah, like a ghost on, like, a mountainside looking at all the live trees and people. Like a forlorn mountain ghost. Yeah, like one of them bleating mount- mountain ghosts. Yeah, they're so good at climbing. Yeah, they can stand on sheer vertical drops. They're like, and they're all like, give me back my skin. Oh, all their skin has been taken. You know, it's a tragedy when your skin's been stolen from you. It really is. There's nothing quite like it. I, I would, I, yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's why we have to kill all skin takers. Yep, you know, people, skinwalkers. Oh, have you heard about skinwalkers? I know a little bit about skinwalkers. Are they the people who walk on skins? Uh, no, they're the people... They're not even people. They're like a weird creature thing that, that like, can shapeshift. You know, Navajo Indians and a lot of Native American uh, cultures have this mythos about the skinwalker, but they're, 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 they're really weird. I hate them. How similar is that to a Wendigo? It's pretty close to a Wendigo. Wendigo, Wendigo. Yeah. But the skinwalkers are like, uh, they're more of the, uh, the plains. Mm. Uh, you know, plains. Is tribes the right word? Let's sure. say cultures. Cultures. Cultures yeah. a good one. Plains cultures. But anyway, uh, Wendigo is more of like the, uh, arboreal cultures. Okay. What's arboreal mean? Trees? Yeah, like forests. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I read a lot about supernatural stuff at my job because uh, my lunch break needs to be filled with something. Yeah, I've just been learning to code at my job. That sounds practical and a useful skill. You're the worst. It's a hard secret to keep. Oh, really? People are like, why are our databases turned into cats? And you're just like, I don't meow. And then I tip my hat at them. And wink. And then I say, "Milady." Oh God! All right, let's 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 get somewhere. Yeah, please. Um, speaking of sitting down, quick, say sitting down. Sitting down. Speaking of sitting down, hey, guess what I did this past weekend? Did you sit down? I sat down on pretty much every couch in a store. Oh wow, that must be hundreds of couches. It was a good, like I don't know, twenty, twenty, thirty couches. Were you uh were you in the market or was this for pleasure? Oh no, I I, I was in the market. I, I'm I'm going to be moving into a a 400 square foot studio and I need a couch to separate my living room from my bed. Oh nice, studio apartments are fun. I've never lived in one and I'm actually really excited about about kind of minimalizing my space so that I can I can live in 400 square feet of uh area. One of, like, the best experiences you can have is living, eh, long-term best, short-term worst. One of the long-term best decisions you can make is to live in a very small place for a period of time. Yeah, because I feel like it's gonna make me appreciate the things I have, 
and want for a better life so I never become complacent. Because it, it really forces you to learn how to be yourself and nothing else. Yeah, I won't have extra room for all of these 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 things I keep faking interest in, like uh like uh politics and more than four hundred square feet. And I mean I, I think about that sometimes where I've lived in very, very small apartments and I had to get rid of, you know, tons of books, uh just a bunch of ephemera that I didn't need. Yeah. But uh, I've got some pretty good tips for couch uh, shopping, if you want to hear them. Oh, please. Yeah, this is Henry's Hints of Home. Henry's Hints of Home. Henry Hints of Home. And uh, so, look, you go, you go, you're in the couch store, and there's lots of couches. There's so many. How? How can you even begin to narrow down your couch selection? How, though? How? So here's what you do. First, you got, you know, of course, the easiest part is you set a budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the secret with couches, though, is the more expensive it is, the more comfortable it is. They really, they're really putting a premium on comfort with couches. Yeah, I would imagine that's the case because that's the one thing I ever want a couch to be. Exactly. It, it, look, aesthetically pleasing, that's great and all, but if the couch is comfortable... You you got to shell out some doche. And I mean, I guess if you don't pay much money, but you still pay a decent amount of money, you can get a very comfortable, very ugly couch. Well, and it, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. You set yourself up. You say, like, okay, I'm not going to spend more than maybe $1,000. Well, the first thing you do is you find the couch that's, that costs $1,000 and you sit on it. That's your baseline of comfort. And then you just... Under that, you try to find the couch that's the closest to that, but also the cheapest and the most aesthetically pleasing. Exactly. You, you've set up your foundation, and now you're trying to work back up to it. So after you sit down on that the, the most comfortable $1,000 couch, you you walk over to the $500 couches, and you start sitting on, sitting on all of those until you find the one that's, like, close enough and also looks good. And I guess the worst decision you could make is you're like, ah, I've sat on a few $500 couches. I wonder what a $2,000 couch feels like. That's what you do once you already found your, your, you know, your baseline. <laughs> You've already found, you know, the $500 couch that, that feels the best to you. You go sit on the $2,000 couch and you start dreaming of the job that you would want, that, that you would need to be able to afford the $2,000 couch. That's a dreamer's couch. We we found one that that it has cup holders built into it. Ooh! And then there's a button that you can turn a light on in the cup holder, and so you can always see your cup holder. That's like a Bentley of couches. It also had power like recline and and decline. I don't know. It was it was like it, yeah, it was like a car couch, a couch car. I want that couch. And um, it, it was really I don't know, but anyway, so. Here's the thing. Once you find your baseline 500 comfortable couch, continue to sit on pretty much every couch in the store because you're going to sit on a lot of bad couches. Bad couches that you not, you're not going to want to buy because they're not comfortable enough. Mm-hmm. But then the last thing you do before you leave the store is sit on the, ch- the couch that you've chosen again and it's going to be the most comfortable seat in the room. Oh, because you're going to sit on a bunch of bad couches. Exactly. You're going to sit on all these bad couches, and you're going to be like, man, 
let's test this couch that I picked again and see if it's good. And it's going to feel like sitting on a cloud made of marshmallows, but a vegan-style marshmallow. That sounds like a pretty good marshmallow couch. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know I don't know if you're in the furniture, like, shopping department of your life, but that's just how you do couch shopping, and, and it's been... It's been tested. It's what I do. It's I make my girlfriend do it, and she hates me for it, but that's fine. And then uh, it's just that's it's been tested and approved by me. I wonder if I'll ever get to a point in my life where I can shop for furniture, because right now I'm just making it. Oh, oh, look at you, look at you with the tools and the and the the belt making your furniture. I'm actually doing it because it's considerably cheaper. Well, yeah, but how do you make a couch? Oh, you don't. That's impossible. Oh, what are you making? Many men have tried, and many men have died to make a couch. I know. You can only... It's blind monks make all couches. Yeah, in uh, in the Buckfast. Anyway, uh, I've been making... Related to a couch, I've been making a coffee table. A coffee table? Mm Mm-hmm. Are you building in some storage with it, or is it just like a flat top? It's just a flat top. Just a flat top? Are we talking glass top or wood top? Wood top. A wood top? What kind of wood? Uh, it's kind of, uh, siding that's a whole bunch of different pieces of wood stuck together in this cool patchwork look. Oh, so like a reclaimed wood kind of look? It it doesn't look reclaimed, it just looks kind of like an awesome mess. Wait, like, not reclaimed as in, re- like, redone, re- refinished, but like as in you're reclaiming it from somewhere else? Oh, I mean, that wood was supposed to be, like, lapboard siding, but I turned it into the top of a coffee table because it was pretty. Yeah, so, like, you're reclaiming it for a different purpose. And, uh, here's something, here's a bit of a tip for people out there in the Zero Credits listening community. Lay it on them. If you're building your own coffee table or just trying to get one size to your couch, there are pretty simple aesthetic guidelines to follow. Oh, like what? Your coffee table should be no wider than three quarters the width of your couch. Is this a real thing? Yeah, for real. Do you want me to run this by the expert? Yeah. Hey, expert. Hey. John John says that... Wait, repeat it. Okay, so if you get a coffee table, it should be no wider than three quarters the width of your couch. All right, if you get a coffee table, Mm -hmm. it should be no wider than... Three, what, what did you say? I can't... Three quarters of the width of your couch. Should be no wider than three quarters the width of your couch. Uh, that's a complicated way of saying make sure your coffee table doesn't swallow your sofa. Um, that's probably a good mathematical rule, but we don't have any, like, hard and fast rules like that. Because in the design world, once you know the rule, you can break the rule. As long as you break it right. I'm a stringent rule follower. He's a stringent rule follower. Okay, then follow your three quarters rule, because I think that would be good. You don't want the coffee table to be the same width as the sofa, because then you can't walk around the coffee table to sit down. And you don't want it to be really tiny, because then it'll look like, why did you even get a table? You know, get an end table instead. Yes, yeah, because, uh, wait, ask her a, a, a real question. Is 18 inches high enough? Alright, here's, here's a... Re- 18 inches is good. I can kind of hear you. 18 inches is solid, because it'll match the seat height of the sofa. That's a typical seat height for a sofa. 
Uh, I wouldn't go much higher than 18 inches for a coffee table. For an end table, you can do more like two feet high. Because I was talking to somebody, and he's like, yeah, you got to make sure that coffee table's like two feet high. I'm like, that's just a table at that point. He was talking to somebody, and they said, you got to make sure that coffee table's two feet high. And he was like, that's just a table at that point. Yeah, that's a... Well, actually, a standard table, like, for eating at is 30 inches, because then you think about, like, what's a comfortable height for your desk. All desks are 30 inches, and then a dining table should be 30, um, give or take, like, two inches, but nothing more or less than that. Um, A two-foot table is basically an end table, because it's going to hit really close to around the arm height of your sofa, but two feet on a coffee table is going to be weird. It's going to be weird. This all is right. all incredible advice, and also I'll I'll need to ask you more questions in a future episode about a desk. All right. He says this has all been incredibly helpful, <laughs> and he's going to ask you future questions in another episode about desks. Great. This ends Furniture Expertise Hour with special guest Jamie. Hey, hey, hey. What? No, I'm, I want to say it. I'm the host. Fine. You're a guest. All right. Okay. This ends special expertise time with special guest Jamie. And now back to our regular stuff. Uh, what's a vanity? Wait, wait. Wait. Uh, wait, it could be called more more than one credit. No. Wait, no. no ja- Jamie, <laughs> Jamie, Jamie. Wait, call it. Call it. Go back to the couch. People who have credit. No. Go back to the couch. Anyway, uh, a vanity is what you... When one is too vain, and they're also uh, around wood, trees, their shape into to a vanity, it has a mirror in it. Okay, because I thought that would be hard to make. It's probably hard to make. Hmm. I, I don't know. You could find do-it-yourself stuff pretty much everywhere. Like, the internet has a bunch of stuff about do-it-yourself with, like, guides and steps and stuff. And, like, I'm sure, you know, Netflix has a few shows about doing it yourself. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what I want, is, like, a nice coffee table that I can set my hot frost of mug down while I watch some brand new Netflix. Yeah, I mean, who who wouldn't want... You know, I, I, speaking of coffee tables, I've been looking at this Ikea coffee table that has, like, a bunch of storage on it, so you might... I don't know. It's one thing to look nice, but if it also has, like, functionality, of stick, stick a bunch of random drawers in that, that table you're building... That'd be uh, cool. One of the things about the coffee table that I'm building is it does have like a a perfectly square interior compartment that I could build drawers into. That would be cool. I was also considering buying one of those $200 Rockler lift top mechanisms that makes the coffee table like rise up and turn into a desk that floats over your couch. That's awesome. Very expensive. Super expensive. But uh I I don't know, it would be a novelty kind of item, and if you if you if you've got like a well, you've got a PS4, but if you plug your computer into a TV, you could have a space for your mouse and and keyboard. True. Yeah. Instead of using your lap like some type of Neanderthal. Yeah, don't be a Neanderthal. Yeah. Is it Neanderthal or Neanderthal? I've heard both. Oh, I wonder. I wonder how they would pronounce it. I've heard Neander Jethro Tull. So they play the flute. Aqualung. Yeah, Aqualung. Turns out that's what Neanderthals sound like. Chuthrotol. 
They did say they had weird voices. Yeah. Yes, they did. Those people, yeah. of course, scientists. You know, uh, scientists, they do things. Sometimes. When they have the funding. Sometimes I wonder why I'm even paying them. Well, so they can research and develop your, your coffee table laser. Yeah, but when they don't produce results, what did I pay them for? You paid them to find out what not to do. Uh, it's tough for me to justify that. I have to, I have to support my, my base. You have a base? Yeah, I need the scientist to build me a stand for my base. Oh, I thought you meant like an evil layer type base, not a musical instrument type base. Well, it is an evil layer because it evilly lays down sweet bass licks. Can something evil lay down something that's sweet? Boom, boom, boom. boom, Bass lick. What? That was a bass lick. John? Yeah. I have a question for you. Oh, I've been dreading this moment. <laughs> it's a question that, uh, that you might have heard before. Hmm. In previous episodes. Yes. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, you know, at this point, I have no idea. You know, we've done 52 episodes of this. That's a lot of episodes. And we've done more episodes than that, if you count all the extra stuff that we do. Yeah, all the extracurriculars. But, uh, 52 episodes of Zero Credits, and at one episode a week, guess what? That's, uh, one year? Yeah. That's one year of doing Zero Credits. That's an incredible accomplishment, even though we've been doing this for, like, a year and a half. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've been physically doing this for more than one year, but 52 episodes, really, one released every week, means that we've been doing Zero Credits for one year. If you listen to Zero Credits... Once per week, starting from episode one, you will have wasted a year of your life. Not wasted. We, we've got very helpful things like how to buy a couch and what height your coffee table you're making should be. We, we, we help people out. Well, I mean, I know we do that, but I wasn't assuming they were going to do anything else interesting. Oh, you think, you think there are people out there that just listen to our, our podcast and they absorb all this knowledge and they do nothing with it? Yeah, and they absorb nutrients from the sun. Like a plant? Yeah. You think there are people out there that can photosynthesize? I mean, that's what the scientists are working on. You're making plant people? I'm not making plant people. The scientists are making plant people. But you're paying the scientists. Yeah, but what the scientists do, that's their business. But when you pay them, you can tell them what to do. Yeah, but it's, they have to. they don't have to listen to me and my money. Then you don't have to pay them. I have the option to. But you have the option not to. Yeah. What? Look, I only had one option. What's your one option? Plant people. You know, that might solve world hunger. Do we eat the plant people? No, we don't eat the plant people if... Oh if boy, we wait, there's egg on my face. You mean because we wouldn't have to eat because we'd be plant people. Yes. I am making them taste like delicious zucchinis, though. Uh, wait, but you you wouldn't be able to eat them because they're living things, John. Oh, no, I'd be able to eat them because they'd give themselves willingly. Because I'd pay them. Here's a question I have for you, John. What's up? So, have you heard of that lab that's making cruelty-free meat? Uh, yeah, where they, like, synthesize meat? Yeah. 
What do you think of that? Uh, I think we've discussed it on the podcast before. Uh, I'd eat it, but I probably wouldn't make a habit of it. Okay. Have you also heard about this, this certain strand of seaweed? Oh, you mean that dull stuff that tastes like bacon? Well, not that stuff. I'm talking about another certain strand of seaweed, a, a certain strand of seaweed that if you feed it to a cow or cows, it would reduce their carbon emissions by 70%. Ooh. Yeah, I saw a headline about it. Ah, that's cool. Wait, does that mean that if I eat it, it will reduce my carbon emissions by 70%? I mean, I guess technically, yes. I don't know if they've tried it on humans, but I don't know. I thought it would be a cool cool way to, to, to make beef okay again. I mean, I'd, it still wouldn't be, like, totally okay to me, but that's cool. I think we should do it if it's possible. And it doesn't, like, give the cows eye cancer. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about giving the cows eye cancer, but I, I also read that in the past year... Uh, America's beef consumption actually dropped by like 7%. I'm happy to hear that, but also that, that's probably just like a supply and demand thing and other places are just picking up our slack. I mean, that could be. I, I thought it was just, you know, when did you decide to go vegan? Was it last year? Yeah, it was about a year ago. Yeah, so I, I, it could have just been you deciding to go vegan. Uh, to be fair, I did eat a lot of meat. Yeah, so you th- we can all thank you, John. I think that the last time I counted, I ate 17,000 head of steer every year. Jesus. Wait, head? You ate the heads? Oh, I eat the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Okay, that I used the whole part of the animal, I guess. Yeah, you have to be respectful when you're taking 17,000 lives. That's, that's a way to think about it. We've seriously... Look, no, if we keep pressing forward, it's still content and it's still entertaining. Right? Look, as long as we keep filling the air with things, people won't become aware of the fact that this is all theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, as long as we just keep pressing play and we let the buffering happen, then content will always appear to entertain us. We just have to wait 17 seconds. Between episodes. You know, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a pretty good show. It is, yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's it's there. Yeah, I've watched seven seasons of it in like two or three weeks. That's crazy. That's a lot of content. It's so much content. There's so much out there. Yeah, it's crazy to think about how much content we have at our fingertips on a daily basis. We have so much content that we we have the ability to look at a whole library of online streaming videos and say, "Oh, there's nothing here." Or to, to look at that similar library and go, oh, I'll just watch this thing I watched already. Yeah. I, I mean, we've got so much content in the world that it's just, we've got, what's it called? The, the paralysis of choice or something? Yeah, chooser's paralysis. That's what it is. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, our time is limited. How do we decide what's good enough to watch? We just go on a whim because there used to be a pressure to consume things with worth and now we're just slowly starting to realize that the only thing worth consuming is whatever makes us happy in the moment that's a good way to do it or you could just read cool things and watch cool things and burn your television or you could just listen to us and only watch the things that we say you gotta have and uh you know what a great way to enjoy the things that we say you gotta have is by liking us on social media you like us on social media at zcpcwhj on twitter.com 
You can see us update things like asking people to send us music. Yeah, you can like those things. You can talk to us. You can engage us. Please engage us. Uh, you can also send us an email, for example, at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. You can send us things like, I don't know, you could guess this episode's theme. Yeah. Oh, shit. We forgot to do that. <laughs> shit. We did. Shit. Oh, we did. Oh, that's a shame. Okay, uh, we can do it right now, real quick. Yeah. Uh, so here, here's your, your hint. John, take it. Your hint, okay. Set the scene, a dark room, the smell of popcorn in the air. I have a remote. I say, hmm, guess it quick. Yes, and instantly we reveal it, and the, today's theme was Netflix. Yep, Netflix. Only, the only one thing. Bet you didn't get it. Bet you didn't, I bet you forgot there was a theme. Yeah, I bet you didn't even remember the fact that every Zero Credits episode probably has a theme now. Yeah, so you could email that to us. Oh yeah, if you email us that you guessed it before we gave it to you, you can redeem it for a poem. You're right, I will write you a poem. And if Henry gets tired, I will write you a poem. And if John gets tired, we'll write you a poem. We'll both write you a poem. And, uh, you know what else is poetry in motion is our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash zero credits. Have we streamed anything yet? Nope. And you know you can also reach us on Facebook by searching for zero credits in the search bar and clicking on something. Yeah, click on zero credits, because that's what's going to come up. For real, if you love us, please rate us and comment and review us on iTunes. And, uh, a good old thanks to Joshua C. Forrest for letting us... Play his music. Yeah, big thanks. If you want your music featured on the episode, just get in contact with us in any of the ways we've mentioned before. We would be happy to do it. We just want to showcase fantastic, talented people in any way that we can. All right, John. Time for the final send-off for this episode. Oh, the final send-off? Where we just say one little thing that we learned in the course of today's episode. You go first. Uh, cast people... Who are underrepresented in your stuff? And I learned that an eighteen, that a that a coffee table should be no higher than eighteen inches, but also I shouldn't overthink the ratio. Yeah, look, furniture is great, and we always have an expert behind us on the couch. Call the sofa. Google break, he's probably gonna cut out this Google break, and is doing a search with his Google break, everybody freak out, it's a Google break, boop-a-doop, slow internet, how long can I sing before he finds the thing that, okay.